0: what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. You're listening to Oh Brother, When Art Thou? And now here's your host, Neil White.
1: Welcome to Oh Brother, When Art Thou? I'm your host, Neil White, joined as always by my brother, David. It's been a while since we recorded, David. Welcome back to the studio.
0: If by the studio you mean my bedroom, yes, thanks. It's great to be here, Neil.
1: It has been a while. Hey, people can listen to podcasts in their bedroom. We record in our bedroom. It's all great. It's all great. So, David, now that we are back in studio, let's get going with our next episode. You haven't listened to us before or you just forgot because it's been a while how this works. I asked David the titular question, oh, brother, when art thou? David, you tell me when you are in history. Neil, it's March 14th,
0: 1840. And in a small field in Nova Scotia, two men face off, pistols at the ready, their seconds watching as a bold young journalist by the name of Joseph Howe prepares to fight a duel with John Halliburton, the son of the
1: colony's chief justice. Ah, David, dueling, this is so exciting. Pistols drawn. Is it dawn? I, you know, I did not
0: research this to the extent that I could tell you whether it was at dawn or not. Should have been, though, cinematically.
1: We have a good old-fashioned duel. We know how this works, David. Ten paces, turn, fire. Tell us what happens. So... I just want to
0: reinforce before we get to what happens that dueling was a real thing at this point in the continent of North America, in the world, really. There was a real risk. People did have actual duels and die. This is not the last duel in Nova Scotia, nor is it occurring after the last lethal duel in Nova Scotia. It would have been, for everyone involved, a tense moment, but I am glad to tell you, young Mr. Halliburton missed his shot when he fired, and the equally young Mr. Howe threw away his shot, fired into the air non-lethally, and the entire duel was resolved with no bloodshed at least, although I'm afraid I can't say that it was entirely amicable.
1: David, it's such a weird and fascinating piece of history, these duels, that anyone thought a good way to settle disputes was to shoot at each other. Evidently, if I was Joseph Howe, I'd be feeling a little bit awkward because he fired into the air and John Halliburton fired at him, but luckily missed. So it turns out the two men had different ideas about honor in terms of this duel. What was the cause? What was the reason that caused these men to literally put their lives on the line? So this gets a little bit
0: interesting. Maybe even convoluted would be a better word there. So Joseph Howe, as I have mentioned, was a journalist in Nova Scotia at the time. He owned his own newspaper, which was more common for newspapers to be small operations where their owner would also be personally reporting stories in 1840 than perhaps it would be today. So he owned the Nova Scotian and he also wrote articles in the paper, in that paper obviously. And one of those articles he accused some Of the colonies because Nova Scotia was a British colony at the time one of the colonies senior leadership he accused them of corruption of taking bribes specifically and certainly that was a big deal and the persons accused of taking bribes reasonably as you would expect normal people to do decided that they would bring a case for slander. They accused Joseph Howe of publishing false reports intended to libel them and brought a case in the Nova Scotia legal system, which led to Mr. Howe being brought in front of the chief justice of the colony, Mr. Halliburton Sr., And then there was a dramatic trial. The major question before the court was on the interpretation of the word seditious in the libel laws that existed in British law at the time. The key point that everyone agreed was that under normal libel law, Mr. Howe was entirely justified if he had been talking about two private citizens and accusing them of taking a bribe, even though he couldn't 100% prove to a legal satisfaction what he believed, he had a reasonable grounds for believing it and therefore should be acquitted. But the laws of the United Kingdom and hence of her colonies at that time included a provision that if language used by the potentially libelous communication was seditious then the standard that the defendant was required to meet to prove that his words were accurate would have to meet proof beyond a reasonable doubt. He would have to be able to prove his case as if he were proving it to a
1: court which he could not do. David you said this was going to be convoluted I believe and uh, I I think you're correct so basically he has printed this accusation in the paper that they were taking bribes but because the people he's talking about are public officials they're claiming that's sedition which means he needs to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that he knew they were taking bribes.
0: Exactly. And Joseph Howe's position on in the court was that this was a terrible potential precedent to set, that whatever the court's personal feelings about him might be, they should acquit him because declaring that the allegation that certain specific people, not the entire government, were engaged in corrupt activities was sedition, would make it impossible essentially to be a responsible journalist in Nova Scotia at all. And ultimately, the court agreed with Joseph Howe. They agreed that the statements he had made might be true, might be false, but they were not sufficiently clearly known to him to be false or made recklessly with no knowledge Either way, that he had a reasonable basis for believing that there might have been corruption occurring and therefore that he should be acquitted.
1: So, David, this is good for him. He gets off here. He didn't commit treason or anything like that. He is allowed to do what he does as a journalist and publish these allegations about public officials. So that would seem like a good result for him. How does he end up dueling with the Chief Justice's son?
0: So this, honestly, is part of where it gets strange. You see, the Chief Justice's son, unsurprisingly, is well-connected in the upper ranks of the government of the colony. Uh, nothing surprising or unusual about that. But, also unsurprisingly, a number of people who have been allegedly part of this allegedly corrupt transaction, are very unhappy, not just with Joseph Howe, but with Mr. Halliburton Sr., with the judge in the case who found him innocent. And they take out some of their frustrations on Mr. Halliburton Jr., on the son of the judge, who's obviously an easier, safer target if you want to be putting some pressure on somebody, bad-mouthing somebody, whatever, an easier, safer target than going after a judge directly, which leads to Mr. Halliburton feeling that he is being hard done by because Mr. Howe not only Got off, but also refuses to apologize and continues to stand by his reporting in spite of the judge's commentary, which suggests that the judge did not believe the reporting that Mr. Howe had done. But flip it around Joseph Howe is a young crusading journalist who really believes that he has broken a serious corruption story and he's not backing down from his allegations he is standing by and for Mr. Halliburton Jr. he feels like Mr. Howe is betraying him essentially making his father look worse by refusing to agree with the judge's suggestions that the that the allegations might be factually inaccurate and Walk them back publicly.
1: David, it's hard not to see Joseph Howe's point here. If John Halliburton Jr. is so offended by these government officials being mad at him about this whole thing, shouldn't he take it up with the government officials, not the journalist?
0: Well, that's certainly one point of view, but Halliburton really feels that this is Joseph Howe's trying to take advantage, basically, that he's unscrupulous and he's deliberately using the acquittal which he got on legal processes as cover and using it to suggest that possibly his reporting is accurate and supported by the courts so now there's a dispute between Mr. Howe and Mr. Halliburton but unlike the previous dispute which went into the court system as responsible people in a civilized society with an appropriate level of legal protections available can and should do, this dispute doesn't have any obvious way for it to become a court case there's no standing for young Mr. Halliburton to sue Mr. Howe and no desire on Mr. Howe's part to sue Mr.
1: Halliburton. Right so they're left without the ability to sue each other so their decision is pistols. In 1840 that
0: seemed like a perfectly reasonable decision if you read the people discussing this. Now it's hardly as if there's much approval from the colony at the time the fact that this occurred wasn't a secret and people certainly don't think that duels are a good idea or a good way to settle disputes or that Halliburton and Howe are showing any particular degree of maturity by going straight to pistols but at the same time there's no shock people you know it's something that Happened That still happened at that time. And people are sort of resigned, I guess, would be the word. Two young hotheads are going to go and risk their lives for a dumb dispute that most people have already moved beyond by that point.
1: Well, David, these guys certainly took a convoluted route to get to this duel. And it may seem nonsensical to us now, but they certainly are determined to try to kill each other. Of course, we know that Joseph Howe ends up deciding to shoot into the air. What do we know about Joseph Howe and his approach to this duel?
0: Well, this is actually possibly the most interesting part of the story. It's not so much Joseph Howe's thinking going into the duel as what Joseph Howe was thinking before the duel ever got arranged he wanted to do about the broader problem because Joseph Howe has opinions. First off, he's got a strong belief that the current government in Nova Scotia is, or at least some of its members are, corrupt and he wants to change that. Then it turns out that Mr. Howe has opinions about libel laws now after going through a court case involving them. No clear evidence that he had opinions before that, but, you know, you tend to pick up that sort of thing once you've entered into that sort of circumstance, and those two facts combined mean that Joseph Howe, long before this duel occurred, had decided that he was going to make the jump from just owning and operating a newspaper into politics. So his decision to shoot into the air is driven by his desire to avoid destroying his nascent political career before it can
1: get started. So David, it makes sense that someone with lots of opinions would become a journalist, And also makes sense that someone with strong opinions about these things would then go into politics. So that's the path for Joseph Howe. Would he be in legal trouble if he did shoot Halliburton in this duel? I mean, yes.
0: The laws of the time did not actually contain as many exceptions for dueling as people tend to believe. Rather, it was more just an acknowledged... Sometimes, when people dueled each other, the courts would look the other way and they wouldn't get charged. But, pragmatically, if he'd shot the son of the Chief Justice, they probably would have thrown the book at him and he probably would have gone down for it.
1: Okay, so dueling was accepted as a practice, but not legally accepted. Exactly. Definitely
0: not the sort of thing that if you want to be a successful young politician in 1840, you want to be involved in.
1: So luckily, everyone manages to walk away from this duel. It's a good thing for Joseph Howe that John Halliburton Jr. wasn't much of a shot, apparently. What happens next? What is the outcome of this skirmish in Nova Scotia? Well, Joseph Howe, goes on to become
0: a very prominent Nova Scotian politician. He's involved in all kinds of the political causes of the day, the Crimean War, the railway building of the period. He's the biggest rival to Charles Tupper, the other notable Nova Scotian politician of the time. And that rivalry actually leads him to oppose Confederation initially. He's one of the most significant anti-Confederation campaigners in Nova Scotia, which makes him one of the most important anti-Confederation speakers anywhere that Canadian Confederation was happening, because Nova Scotia was really the linchpin, really very critical for whether Confederation would go forward. And that's what makes Joseph Howe's flip his decision to join Confederation and support it. After Confederation occurs, he decides to recognize it as a reality and not leave the country at a time when It really was believed that Nova Scotia was going to leave and that the entirety of the Canadian Confederation project was going to fall apart because of it. So important to future Canadian history and the fact that he managed to make the leap into politics and avoid having his nascent political career be destroyed either by going to jail for murdering someone or alternatively by getting shot, really this moment actually is a crucial one in Canadian history, even though at first sight it seems very, very stupid.
1: So Joseph Howe started off against Confederation, the Union of Canada into the country of Canada, but he flips and becomes one of the reasons why the country ends up holding together in the way that it has to this very day. Exactly, yes. And all because John Halliburton Jr. wasn't a very good shot.
0: That about sums it up, yeah.
1: Thanks for telling us this story, David. I always
0: enjoy this, Neil.
1: Now, we always like to end with something fun, a little quiz. So I do have a quiz for you, David. All right. All right, David. So we have done this a few times now. We look at the historical accuracy of some popular culture. In episode 11, The Philosophy Student and the Spartan Army, we looked at movies In episode 46, The French Bandits and the Black Flag Army, we looked at TV. And in episode 51, The People, the Senate, and the Dictator, we looked at Broadway. So today we're going to look at another piece of pop culture, which is video games. And we are going to look at the historical accuracy of a few video games. Ready to go? Alright, what do you got? Let's start with a very popular video game series about history, the Assassin's Creed games and the titular assassins in this game are based out of Masyaf Castle in Syria. Is this true to real life?
0: Well, I don't know how much of the overall Assassin's Creed mythos is even remotely historical, But the early Hashashim, from whom the name Assassins comes into English, were indeed based out of Syria, so
1: I'm going to go with yes. You are right David, the castle was once home to that feared Assassins order. Let's jump ahead through time to Battlefield 1, a video game about the First World War. It has some pretty awesome sniper missions, mostly with scoped rifles. True or false, that real World War I snipers would have scoped rifles?
0: Well, that's a true or false question that is not as directly simple as all that. Scopes existed in World War I, but they weren't common. And certainly even among snipers, especially at the beginning of the war, where virtually no armies had invested in proper telescopic sites for their troops before the beginning of the combat, it wouldn't be a guarantee that every sniper would have a scope. So I, you could go either way, but I'm going to go with false.
1: You're on, David. You explained it right there pretty well scopes were barely used in world war one so we're giving this one a mostly false based on how much scopes play a role in battlefield one how about the classic educational video game oregon trail it's notorious for how often characters would die of dysentery is the portrayal of the disease on the american frontier accurate
0: huh you're moving really beyond the scope of what i am confident with historically. I'm not entirely certain, but on the other hand, disease was a major problem. So since I have to guess, I'm going to guess that yes, dysentery was a major problem on the American frontier.
1: You are right, David. We played this game a bunch as kids and we died quite a few times that way. And the amount of disease like dysentery and cholera that your characters face in the game is historically accurate now my favorite video game david of all time is the saboteur in which you play an irish member of the french resistance in nazi occupied paris during world war ii if you make the nazis too angry they'll send zeppelins after you raining gunfire down from above is that historically accurate or not
0: in the second world war i do not believe that the nazis were using zeppelins for combat operations no
1: you are correct david in fact the germans destroyed all of their zeppelins in early may 1940 prior to the invasion of france final question for you david we're going to go back to the american frontier again this time with the game red dead redemption 2 which is set around 1899 features numerous cowboy characters who are black or people of color is that accurate or not
0: it's certainly accurate that many cowboys like most Relatively low income occupations available in the American West were broadly occupied by people of every color and creed, even.
1: You're right, David. Historians agree that black people made up about a quarter of all cowboys, so good for Red Dead Redemption 2 for including them in the history. David, excellent work on this quiz. You killed it today. Yeah, that
0: one went really well.
1: I guess you're good at video games and history thanks for playing along i always enjoy it neil and thanks for listening